All right, we are in the wackiest of wackiest moments, really, in in the annals of Stanley Cup history. Just think of this as we embark upon our 40th rinky-dinking podcast of the season, a season that at some point is going to end, they tell us, but has gone on forever, in glorious fashion, I might add. But here we are in the middle of September. I'm calling games from a TV-filled room in Irving, Texas, from a Canadian broadcast feed of the most Southern Stanley Cup final in history as Texas takes on Florida. And it's being played at latitude 53.63, the most northern point possible, and in front of nobody. Not a soul, really, as far as fans are concerned. It doesn't get any more 2020 than what we are living through uh, here in the Stanley Cup final in uh, good old Edmundshuk. With that, I say hello to the great Mike Heike, who's covering this from the confines of his lounge chair, I think. And our man in the bubble, Jeff Totes who's actually there and experiencing all of this uh, firsthand. This is nuts. Am I not correct in, in just stating that? Yes. And then when you mix in the Yoel Kivirantas and Joel Hanleys and Hold it, we're going to get to that. Golden, I know, but we're we're going to get to all of that, Mike. Like, we're you gonna... couldn't make it more weird than no. it is. I know. We're good, though, isn't it, Cody? Isn't that what your generation's all about? They love the weirdness, do they not? We love weird. Why? What is it? I don't know. Twitch it up. It's like a drug to you people. You just (laughs) like stuff that you you don't expect and and at times you weren't prepared for and that comes completely out of left field. That sense it's been a great year for us. It has. It has. Well, the last time the Dallas Stars were in a Stanley Cup final was 20 years ago. It was 2000. And they bowed out to those New Jersey Devils. Uh, I thought it would be fun to go down memory lane. I was trying to conjure up the lineup from 2000 again. I needed some help. I I actually called in a favor from an old uh, hockey coach. And even he didn't have it down. He, he had the wrong names and people forgot people. But anyway, that, that just underscores how long ago it was. Uh, what do you remember from 2000, Mike Heike? Uh That Eddie Balfour was even better than he was in, in 99. That he oh, my God, I thought you were going to say he was even better than Anton Hedobin has been no, no. in 2020. <laughs> <laughs> no, he, was, he was fantastic. It's so funny because I really do think he felt – a little bit cheated for not getting the Conn Smythe in 99 because uh, he was so good, especially, you know, in overtime. Uh, but I thought he was fantastic in the 2000 playoffs, and I really thought he was going to pull it off even even with the cough syrup game. Yeah, uh, I was going to say, other than, other than game <laughs> one in New Jersey. <laughs> uh, just think of it, though. The, that 2000 team had six, soon to be seven, Hall of Famers on the squad. Yeah, they were, they were the the top end was still uh, as elite as you, you're going to find, but what eroded was some of their depth 
from 99 to 2000. And they, they weren't as deep as, as the New Jersey Devils. I, I was reminded, like, Alexander McGillney was a fourth liner on that team. <laughs> Alexander McGillney. And then all of a sudden, for whatever reason, and, and they'll go to their graves with this one, they had the greatest home ice advantage in hockey at, a, at Reunion Arena. They, they were a team built to play on that mushy ice and in that intimate setting with our boisterous uh, fans. And they get into the Stanley Cup final. I mean, they were just mowing everybody down. They played at home. It was a W. You could just post it. And then they get into the final, and they couldn't win a home game. They couldn't win a home game in the Stanley Cup final. It was sad. And, you know, the other one that I remembered, uh, didn't both Ludwig and Chambers leave uh, yeah. after 99? Well, that, that's what I'm getting to. So okay. um, I'll, I'll run through it for you because I know I, you don't have this, but, but I do because I do my homework. The, uh, the 2000 team was, ba- uh, was basically this. Letton and Madonna Hall, Scott Thornton, Neuendijk, Langenbrunner, uh, Muller, Carboneau, Keene, Morrow, and then a, some combination of Lyashenko, Aaron Gavey, John Sim, Grant Marshall, and the great Blake Sloan. Uh, that was their forward group. And then on defense, Sidor Zuboff, Matt Bichuk Hatcher, and that third pair had turned into Dave Manson and Kote. Yep. Uh, with Belfour in goal. So you, you look at that, and then you fast forward 20 years, and you look at what the stars are trotting out in the bubble. You go Ben Sagan, Radulov, Yanmark Pavelski, Gurionov, Pagliano Dickinson, Como, Kiviranta, Hintz, and Perry, with Lindell and Klingberg, Alexiak, Haskinen, and Hanley and Sekera, with the great Anton Hadobin in goal. So, if you're going to handicap this, where do you, where do you go? Uh, you know, like so, 2000 against 2020. Yeah. Uh, on paper, I think 2000 wins. I mean, you are talking some Hall of Famers in there, and we'll we'll see about this group, but. I and mean, those are those are some pretty high end players there. Yeah, but if you uh, go, yeah, true. I mean, that top line. No offense to to Jamie Tyler and Alexander, but that's three Hall of Famers. <laughs> that, that's a that that's as good as it got during that era. Madonna Hall and Letnin. So yeah. we'll we'll give two thousand that. Uh, the second line, though, to me, that's that, that's almost a push. Newendike, Langenbrunner, Thornton, Yanmark, Pavelski, Gurionov, with the way that yeah, the Pavelski and Gurionov has scored in these playoffs? Yeah, I, and again, I'm I'm a homer, so I, I always give Joe uh, Newendike a big boost over Joe Pavelski. But again, you know, different times of their career, and yeah. and Joe Pavelski stepped up very nicely. But, I, I mean, I just, to me, Joe Newendike is a consummate. And and the people in San Jose say the same thing about Pavelski. I just haven't watched him I watched Newendike, but I get what you're saying there. Uh, I also am a big fan of Jamie Langenbrunner. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think that gives you a little bit there. Um, but, yeah, it's I can so, definitely say what it, you're saying. What you're doing, though, Mike, is you're, is you're going into body of work over just the 2000 playoffs versus the 2020 playoffs. Yes. And it's funny because this is what I said the other day. I said, when you look at it on paper, you can say Victor Hedman's one of the greatest defensemen in the game. 
And Vasilevsky is one of the greatest goalies in the game. But if you look at right now in these playoffs, Miro Haskinen might be as good or better than Victor Hedman. And <laughs> yeah. might be as good or better. In this little window, the Stars might actually have an advantage. So you're right. I mean, it, I'm looking at body work as opposed to, you know, uh, what these guys are doing right yeah. now. Yeah. It's, I mean, it, it's, uh, it's tough. I mean, you get into that third line, Carbonell, Keene, and Muller, if you want to put it that way. I, I can't remember all the, all the trios that he trotted out. Uh, but I mean, it's, you know, f- fourth line, pick them, uh, yep. the number one D pair. I mean, is it a push Lindell Klingberg, Sidor Zuboff? It's interesting just because of, I think of what Hatcher and Matt Chuck did and the way they were utilized well, on the style of hockey back then. Correct. And how they fit so well into that style. Yeah. Of hockey. So, because yeah. I, I have a great re- amount of respect for Darren Hatcher too, um, you know I think his career, uh, it, it, it the whole body of work hurts because of the knee injury at the end. Uh, yeah. But when he was in his prime, yeah. uh, he was as, as good as anybody. In fact, do you think uh, was it a, a year or two later where he was uh, in the Norris voting? He had a, a offensive yeah. season. Yeah. So. Yeah. All right. Well, you're you're going to sit on the fence. So am I. I, am. I, I can't. I, I love them all. They're, I know. They're all my children. <laughs> uh, love and love lost. Well, let's move on to Rick Bonus and John Cooper. Uh, first time in Stanley Cup history that a head coach and his former assistant or associate coach face off as head coaches in the final. What a there. You would you would kill a lot of trees to print out the the number of uh, statements or first times or records <laughs> that have been eclipsed or matched or set in these playoffs in 2020, right? Like it's yeah. it's it is insane, and th- th- that's another one. So. Wouldn't you love to know the true inside story of the fraying of the professional relationship in Tampa between those two men? Yes. Yeah. Uh, it's it's funny because that's the other irony of this is he, the assistant coach is typically not the mentor, but he is in this situation. Well, he because, was here too. Well, I know. And I, and I agree with, you know, why they brought him in and everything like that. And if you watch Rick in practice and, and watched him when Jim Montgomery was a head coach, he carries himself like a head coach in practice. Yes. So I can understand how if you're the young head coach, at some point in time, you're like, okay, I'm the head coach now, as opposed to I get it, you've got a lot of energy, you love the game, passion, the players love you, but at some point in time, maybe that gets to be too much for the young head coach. Do you think that's what it was? It was just like a, a power struggle on on uh, who had more control or or who coveted more respect or whatever in there? or well, and I think they, they hadn't won, and so something had to get done. And so I'm sure whether that's general manager or ownership or somebody saying something about, okay, you guys haven't gotten this done. What are you going to do different? Because that's always a question. What are you going to do different? And so, you know, if it comes to what are we going to do different, well, let's, let's go hire a different assistant coach. <laughs> that's that, that's farting and pointing at the dog. <laughs> I know, but that's what teams do. <laughs> I know. My my sense is that Bones took a lot of the blame for what at the time was to me was a less than awe inspiring defense score in Tampa. I mean, you look back at you know Matt Carl and Dan Girardi and 
Schuster and these guys that they were they were trotting out and and their puck movement suffered a little bit uh, because of that and and you're probably right in your assessment that it, it was and, and what Bone said is it was just time he felt it was they all felt it was time but there's still there's some kind of simmering something underneath. Well, that, I do I, I do think that Bone is a guy that if you say we're thinking about replacing you, he's like, well, then replace me. Because if you're thinking about it, then you don't have my yeah, you don't have trust yeah. in me. And and so then I think as soon as he gets wind that that might be a, a possibility, he's walking out the door. Yeah. That's just the kind of guy he is, I think. Man, he's done a phenomenal job with this crew here. And well, look back on his career. So what did Vancouver do when he was the assistant coach? Yeah, got to the conference finals a couple of times. In the Stanley, Stanley Cup, Cup final. Like he's gone to the Stanley Cup final now three times in a decade with three different franchises. Yeah, and then in Tampa, he went to the conference finals two or three times. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. He just, so he's been to the playoffs like yeah. nine of the last ten years. He's like he's like the Scotty Bowman of associate coaches. Yeah, exactly. He, he seems to align himself with good teams at the right moment, you know? Yeah. And Scotty, smart take, getting Scotty never took on an awful lot of uh, – uh, expansion, although uh, that is a good note that the last team or the only other team to have a negative goal differential and, and heading into the Stanley Cup final was the 1968 St. Louis Blues and Scotty coached them. He was a very young Scotty Bowman back then. Yes. But it's like them and, and the Dallas Stars, who I think moved into positive territory last night, didn't they? Or close yes, to they it. did. And, and you can argue then that the, the round robin games really count, but hey, under these stats, they do. So I know, I know. All right, so uh, let's find the parade. Uh, rumor <laughs> uh, <laughs> they want to get. They only need three more wins. They play 500 hockey, and they're going to win the Stanley Cup. So we, we might as well start getting the planning uh, started here. Rumors of a plan in the works in Tampa already. So. Come on, let's let's do our work. Is there a better chance we see a rally than a parade in Dallas? I've heard different ideas thrown about that. You know, the players are in. Oh, you've heard ideas, have you? Well, just people <laughs> chatting. People, the players are in uh, Glaston areas, and then the, you, as fans, drive by as a parade, or the fans. <laughs> what? <laughs> That's. Okay, That'd be so like going say, through the toy aisle at, yeah. at a, and it's just looking at, at the Ken dolls all the way down there. Or, or it can be like the Wild Kingdom where you can, you know, like, uh, you know, try and get your autograph and, and hopefully they'll poke their head in your car. Like <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. What, what, is the, what is the place down? We went there once. Rose, no, something uh, south of here. With the wildlife farm where you can drive. Oh, yeah, through. Glen Rose, right? Glen Rose. Yeah, yeah Fossil Rim. We went, we went, yeah, Fossil Rim. Went through there, <laughs> and a friggin' zebra ate my mirror. Like, started chewing on the mirror. Well, Radulov might do the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we got ahead of ourselves a little bit there. But that's what you think it's going to be, though? It's going to be- no, I, I have no idea. I don't know how you do it under these Santa circumstances. Santa Claus Parade or something? <laughs> Although I just watched 21,000 people jammed into AT&T Stadium. So clearly where there's a will, there's a way to get to the bottom. <laughs> Uh, all right, moving on. Uh, top three Con Smythe candidates as we sit here on Sunday, the 20th of September. 
I have I have Hadobin, Haskinen, and Point as my top three. I think that's a good one. Um, the the other interesting thing is if you know if they really if the stars are able to um, do this in a different type of manner and Jamie steps up, I think he needs to be in the discussion. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Yep. And Kucherov's numbers are fantastic. So, but but again, we saw with McKinnon, if he doesn't do it at the time when the game is on the line, then you know you're really not an MVP. Yeah, I would say that that uh, Dolby is the only guy who could win it, even if if they don't win the series. Like goalies have the only crack. At yeah, like, he he could they they could go seven games and lose. And he could still get named the the MVP of the playoffs, I think. Yeah. Although if if Vasilevsky's numbers are pretty good, I mean that's no, nah, but he hasn't. No, 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 no. He, he hasn't done what what Hadobin's done, though. No, I agree. I agree with you. Yeah, yeah you but should. I do. It's just I know how these dumb awards go, and if you have a sub oh. 2.0 goal against average, and you know. Some sports writers looking down at the paper going like, well, look at this guy. He's 1.98. Well, He's got to be the MVP. Look, I was in Edmonton uh, as the third guy back in in uh, in the late 80s when when Ron Hextall won it. Uh, they lost in in uh, seven games. I can still see Glenn Anderson whipping that one through his five hole to make it three to one. And then the potty was on in Edmonton. Uh, that was back when it was known as the City of Champions, Mike. Uh, <laughs> because the football team, formerly known as the Eskimos, and the Edmonton Oilers used to win championships uh, like it was uh, habitual. And remember, the, <laughs> remember that wall? We'd come out of, I mean, it had 50 different names there, Rexall and Northlands Coliseum and whatever. But the, there was a wall when you came out of the tunnel from down below where the buses are. And it, it it was a, a wall of rings and city of champions. And then after a while, they had to hit pause and paint over it because they just weren't <laughs> winning. They weren't winning anything. Uh, we're making fun of that uh, uh, moniker. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and that's another thing with the stars in Edmonton. Man, no team has had more success in that city in – the 20, what is it now, six, seven years, whatever it is that the Stars uh, have been in Dallas, no team has won more in Edmonton than the Dallas Stars. Yeah. Other than Even the in the postseason. I mean, yeah, what, we have six trips in seven years or something like that? Like they've, I think they've. it's up to now 23 uh, losses in in regulation in like 85 or 86 games. It's just insane. The Stars have even won the Patrick Steffen game. Yeah. <laughs> even when yeah, there, there you go. Way to win. <laughs> there you go. Uh, yeah, where, where's our little boy Tyler? I, I said this last night. Who, what, what kind of odds would you have been given if, if somebody told you that Steven Stamkos wouldn't have a point and Tyler Sagan would only have two goals to his name uh, after – uh, you know, three rounds of the playoffs that those teams would their 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 teams would be meeting in the Stanley Cup final. Not shocking. Yeah, and it's funny is that on Tyler's side, he's still out there for 17 minutes a game, pretty much. He's still out there on the power play, and it's just not happening for him. Well, there's a belief that I have that is 
is long and has been proven through the years that the pretty bird gets caged come playoffs. And that's why you have victories like last night for the Stars where it's it's the other guys and it's your depth and it's somebody else. Because the focus is so myopic on the best players on the other side. Now, I don't know that this is necessarily the case. For me, game one was the best he's looked in the bubble. Yeah. I had a guy, he, he looked like Tyler again. Like he looked dangerous offensively and, and he, he was doing the other things. Maybe this is just an extension of a very tough goal scoring regular season for him. Uh, possibly. And I think we, I mean, we've all discussed because of Vancouver and uh, uh, Vegas and because of uh, uh, what uh, Vegas had to do against Dallas and, and what I think Tampa Bay is going through now is just how much it can get into your head. Yeah, um, if another team's goalie yep. is really good, you just start thinking. And then when you think you're not shooting, you know, you're losing a tick on your shot or you're you're trying to be too fine and and you know, now you're shooting at 3 feet over the net instead of at the goalie and and there's just a hundred things I think that go into this and as I always say, goal scoring is hard. And so, you know, when when you mix the fact that it's very difficult with the level of competition with oh my gosh, it's in my brain now. You really can get on, into a big slump. Goal scoring is hard. It wasn't very hard against me, Mike, in my career. <laughs> <laughs> uh, whatever has ailed him, uh, it has not curbed his physicality, though. Uh, no. it, it would surprise a lot of people. He's like fifth on the team in hits amongst forwards. Uh, so he's he's had a high degree of, of kibble uh, to his game, and that's very Stanley Cup playoffs. I mean, your dancers – Thing and your singers dance. That's how you get through this thing. It's an old school uh, reference there. Totes probably uh, misses that one, but um, yep. I don't know what the hip uh, modern version of that would be. And by the way, Totesy's there, so you can just tell us what, what is the injury that Tyler's been dealing with. <laughs> <laughs> no comment. All right, that's our insider, Jeff Totes. Wow. <laughs> I got nothing for you. All right, well, then we'll move on. Uh, th- this. This star's defense scoring regular season versus playoff thing is just bizarre. I mean, how much it's changed and, and improved is is hard to explain at this point. Now, game one of the Stanley Cup final, and again, they get two goals from defensemen, the first and the game-winning goal, yeah, to set them up, essentially. And I asked Rick, I had him on, uh, for an interview that will air tomorrow and uh, asked them in your wildest, I mean, most exotic visions of how your tweak to the defense being more involved in the offense at camp, uh, d- did you ever envision it being paid off to this degree? And he's like, no, <laughs> he was at least he was honest about it uh, because, I mean, it's just, it's incredible. Yeah, it's funny. He he talks about the Kiviranta goal where uh, Sekera set him up, and he goes, Alexiak hands the puck, goes from behind the net, up the wall, hands the puck to Sekera, who goes behind. He goes, no, we didn't draw it up that way. <laughs> 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 he, goes, he goes, we were just as surprised by all of that as anyone. But, again, if you put the thought in the defenseman's head that you have a little bit of leeway, you have a little bit of – room to be creative, then they can do those types of things. Hanley is an offensive player. I think, you know, just scared to show that at this level. 
Uh, and, and, you know, with good reason. You don't want to make a mistake. Uh, no. But Alexiak is funny in that he loves it. I think he loved it back in the day when Lindy was asking him to do it. Uh, it's just that when he made a mistake, they'd yank him out of the lineup. And now they can't yank him out of the lineup, so he's just, you know, he's full bore with, the, yeah, I'm an offensive defenseman. <laughs> yeah, you, you know, that's a good point. Like, uh, the big rig is going to be uh, worthy of a 30 for 30, uh, the way he's gone about his business in the bubble as opposed because. I think a lot of people are going to go, well, what, what was going on early in his career? Well, there's multiple things, right? The, the There's the old 250-game rule. I think that's a Ludwig thing. And I think he got it from Larry Robinson, where a lot of defensemen, until they played 250 games in, in the NHL, they don't really know what they're doing. And it was so difficult for him to stay in the lineup with that coaching staff. And it wasn't just the coaching staff. They, it was just the the um, the awkwardness of contracts and who you can send down and who you can't waivers and you don't want to lose people and then ultimately they end up trading and then they trade back for them again and then you watch him in in these playoffs and you watch him in game one like he, for me he outside of maybe Anton in the third period he he was the most impactful guy in game one of the Stanley cup final uh, physically scored that goal. It's the game winner. Uh, he went after uh, Maroon and simmered him down a little bit, just all the things. I mean, he's, a, he's meshed into a perfect partner for Miro Haskinen. Uh, so all things good on, on the big rig. Yeah. He's a first round draft pick, but 14th overall. So he's got talent. He's got huge size and he's still a pretty good skater. It's funny. Cause I think Rick, Talk, McBonus talks about Hedman saying, here's this guy who's 6'6 and can skate. And he's actually a, a pretty decent skater for a guy of that size. And then you take all that with the fact that he has confidence now. And, you know, going back, it's funny because I do like to dissect all that business that they were going through. Because we were, we were saying at the time it was a bad idea, which was Nemeth and Alexiak as your 6th and 7th or 7th and 8th. And when they make a mistake, you pull one out and go with the other one. And it just, I think it, it destroyed the confidence of both of them. Agreed. And, you know, and I don't think Nemeth has recovered yet because uh, I think he took it a little more personally. Jamie's a, a pretty easygoing guy. And then secondly, I think going to Pittsburgh got him some confidence back, got him some playoff experience, and, and now he's building on that. But it, it is interesting just to watch all this. I mean, here's the first-round pick who was put in a difficult situation, who was traded away, who was traded back, and now he's finally realizing what his – potential maybe and it's a wonderful story go to Pittsburgh and play with Sidney Crosby and get your mojo back or going huh yeah and watch Uh, some of those guys in that room too I think he did yeah and speaking of Mr. Crosby and you mentioned Ben earlier uh I've never forgotten Sidney Crosby's words back in I can't remember what year it was early in the the 2010s maybe it was 2014-ish Anyway, he was asked, if you could choose one player to start a team with and build around, who would you be, or who would that be? And his answer was Jamie Benn. And in the 2020 Stanley Cup playoffs, I think we are witnessing why. Uh, I wonder, though, how much the voices of Joe Pavelski and Andrew Cogliano and Corey Perry and Blake Como have helped him. Because, I mean, you know Jamie. Jamie doesn't yeah. want to talk about himself. He probably doesn't 
wasn't overly comfortable uh, speaking up and, and, you know, he's, he's not an orator anyway. And uh, when you're not going great guns yourself, it's always difficult. I don't care who you are, what letter you have on your Jersey. It's almost impossible for you you to continue to speak up and be chesty uh, when you got to worry about your own, own stuff. And, it's like, it reminds me so much of Darian back in the day. Darian's a quiet guy too, uh, Darian Hatcher. But he had so many of those guys around him to help with that. You, you could pretty much just do what you wanted to do or felt com- comfortable doing, which was leading on the ice. And much of the other things fell on other people who were extremely comfortable and didn't need a letter on their jersey to, to lead. Do you see some of those same similarities and do you – do you think that has propelled him a little bit? Yeah, and I, I do think all the adversity he's gone through with whatever you want to say about management calling him out or fans calling him out or people talking about his contract, you know, I think he's gotten past all of that now, and I think that helps him a great deal, and he's got that support group as well. I watched your interview the other night, and it was wonderful because I think that's the real Jamie. He is a fairly relaxed, funny guy when – he doesn't have to be Captain Jamie or he doesn't have to yeah. be the leading scorer. He doesn't have to be yeah. whatever. And I thought you brought that out, you know, in the interview. He, like, that's the guy the players see. Like, we'll always talk to him about, well, this guy, he's not good with the media or he's not good here or, look, he's in the slump. And the players are like, no, no he's a good guy. He's Everything's fine. And you're like, no, no, he's not fine. He's not playing <laughs> up to him. He got 30. It's not. And they're like, no, no, he's good. It's good. We're all good with Jamie. And you're just like, how can that possibly be? But that's who he is. When he's just with his friends and he's just with the people he trusts, I think he sends out a really calm vibe. And I think that vibe has helped a great deal. And, of course, having guys like Pazowski and Terry and, and Blake and all those guys. Did Blake – did both guys play, both played for Kelowna, but they didn't play at the same time, did they? I didn't know if that went all the way back. Uh, I don't think – I think they just missed one another by a couple mm. of years. Yeah. But I didn't know if that tie – kept them together at all. Well, I think, uh, again, I I think the, the style of play of guys like, like Corey Perry and Blake Como and even, even uh, Cogliano and just the outward um, former captain ish of Joe Pavelski. I I think that helps. Yeah. I think he feels like he has compadres, you know, and, and, and uh, he's got, you know, he's got a squad. Yeah. You know, Taylor Swift had to have her squad, too, to be T-Swizzle. And Jamie sure needs his squad. Jamie would love him. that comparison. <laughs> <laughs> Totes liked it. I did. That was good. Um, all right. Hey, let, let's just marinate in the magic of this run for a minute. You want to do that? Sure. Like, just, I mean, lay in the soup. Because this, this has been insane. Like, just... How would you ever even concoct this in your mind heading into it? I mean, you think to yourself, okay, here's some of the stuff that's gone on. You know, you you have Anton Hadobin sub for an injured Ben Bishop and play like uh, a Hall of Fame multiple Vezina trophy winning netbinder. You register three hat tricks. They only had two in the regular season. You you have a rookie pop four in one game. What did they score in that one period against uh, Calgary? They scored five or more. 
and seven unanswered, yeah. right? Yep. Yeah. Somebody wrote the other day that the 22 shots on goal was the most they've ever faced in a period in, in any playoff period or something like that. And in it's the third every last single, night? Yeah, oh, every single it, period's like another yes. record. It is. It's, they're either scoring goals uh, within uh, an eyelash of one another or they're giving up 500 shots. And it, it's just like in Kiviranta happens. I mean, to have this little pixie out of Finland – be mentioned with Rocket Richard, you know. I Wayne mean, Gretzky. Yeah. <laughs> the, you know, Hanley scoring the Stanley Cup final uh, opener. You know, he'd never scored in the league before. They, they're 12, what were they, 12 seconds away from going down 3-1 to Calgary? Yes. In the in that round. I mean, they go down 3-1. They, I, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, teams teams don't round. typically come, down, come back no? in 3-1. You know, and they, for they, some reason, the other team will get a break somewhere, win a yeah. overtime game in game six or something like that. They, they, they seem to score power play goals on demand in clinchers. That uh, second the, unit, not doing too bad. <laughs> there's no second unit. <laughs> it's a meritocracy. That's right. Uh, and then well, the penalty kill again last night, you know, they get in penalty trouble and and they don't surrender anything. I think they've only allowed two power play goals after the second intermission. That's Ooh. amazing. Isn't it? Well, and the other thing that's interesting is they do make mistakes. Like, so Blake shoots one over the glass. Tyler oh, yeah. makes a kind of pretty much stupid tripping penalty. And yet they, they're like, yeah, you know what? We're not going to be talking about that after the game. Uh, because those are the types of plays that you talk about for years. about. Oh, well, we had, uh, we had them beat in game one, but then Tyler took that tripping yeah. penalty. You know, yeah. but they're not. Nobody's talking about it. They clean up the messes, and they they have this defense score that is scoring like it employs ore and coffee and Bork and Lidstrom all together. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that, you, teams know at this point now. I mean, you're two months into it in the fourth round of the Stanley Cup play. You understand that you your forwards better have their ears perked up and their eyes alert and their heads on a swivel because the stars D are going to be involved in things. And there you go. Game one, bang, bang, Hanley all alone in the slot, Jamie Alexiak gobbling up his own rebound and tucking it under the soffit. It's, it's funny. Incredible. I really, yeah. I, I love listening to John Cooper. I think he's a really smart guy. And he talked about it in the morning before game one. Hey, we've got to be aware of this. We've got to do this. And then if you look back at the tape, Kucherov was cheating on Alexiak's goal. And you're like, well, there you go. There's your, there's your, you know, film session of, for your forwards that, hey, you do this, and I don't care if it's Jamie Alexiak, they're going to score on you. And you know, I, I, it was really interesting just the whole process of how a coach talks about something, then you watch the game and the player didn't listen or whatever, <laughs> have a different idea at the time, and and you see what can happen here. That you know, yeah, you can lay things out and. Uh, you know, I think both uh, Pete DeVore and, and Rick Bonus have said you can't coach the puck into the net. Uh, you know, at some point in time, you just got to trust that the players are going to do it. But it's interesting just how surprising I think that is to people that, you know, why would I be worried about Jamie Alexiak or why would I be worried about Essa Lindell breaking up the left wing and jamming home a goal? Uh, because it's just, it, it's illogical. It's 2020. But it is 2020. Yeah. There's that old line about coaches. I don't know the whole thing, but they have to listen to what they don't want to hear and see what they don't want to uh, see. 
you know, they just live it because they were back there. They're, you know, they can lay out the best plan, but the soldiers have to follow through for them. Yeah. And it, man, it must be frustrating at, at times. All right. What else you got? This is the point in the podcast uh, where you usually elongate it for no reason. <laughs> uh, what was it like talking to Jamie? Because uh, it, it's been, I, I was I was talking to a friend of mine. What was uh, it really, like? What? Just talking to him in that casual setting. I know you're on the phone with him, but it just came across as, Totsi's really good at this, of getting a guy to be relaxed and everything. And you're on the that's phone. I was, I was on yeah, Zoom. Zoom, whatever. The way, the conduit it is of conduit. 2020. You are correct. But my point is that when we're getting him these Zoom calls, it's not good. And so I asked an awkward question, which you know I'll do, and he yeah. answered it in like four words. And, yeah. you know, and, and somebody else asked a pretty good question, and he answered it in four words. And it was just really interesting to see you and him just having a conversation. And, you know, I don't know if it went, you know, longer than whatever the five minutes that we saw. Yeah. But I just thought it was really wonderful. Well, it's nice of you to say. Um, I, I don't I don't know. Um, I have no idea. I just I have questions and. I ask him. It's probably a trust thing. I I I, I don't think I've ever burned him, <laughs> or <laughs> or you know burned an athlete. Not that you have or other people. Yeah. I I just uh, I'm very disarming and charming. <laughs> well, and you know, like I said, you're friends and that helps. But I also think it's important for people to see a different side of him because he can come off as kind of you know surly in his press conferences, and, and I, I'm not sure that's who the guy is behind the scenes. No, I mean, yeah, I mean, but that that's there. Even coaches nowadays, there's coach speak, right? They yeah, they're not going to give you anything they don't want you to have. And and Jamie, because he's had to do lots of talking, and um, he's you know the he's the I've always said he's the opposite to Mike McDonald. Mike always understood that you ask one. The longer he talked after you asked one question, the fewer questions you could ask. <laughs> Whereas Jamie goes the other direction where he's like, if, if I answer in four words, at some point they'll stop asking questions because I'm giving them absolutely nothing. And both work. Yeah. Both, both stymie you scribes. <laughs> Sevy said the other day, I was on the pregame show and Sevy said, he said, you know, uh, this isn't just you, Mike. He goes, but what the players talk about to each other and what they talk about to the media is completely different. And he said, we were the same way back in 99, that, you know, we're not going to tell you what we're thinking. Come on. You always ask, what what are you thinking? What are you feeling? He goes, we're not telling you that. Yeah. And they're even better now at it. Uh, You know, you don't have, especially this year, you don't have that immediate access to them when they still might be a little bit hot under the collar and say something. Yeah. Uh, Now they have, and they're up there with their buddies. Uh, You know, there's three of them up there on the podium or a couple of them up there on the podium all the time. Uh, now, anything else? That's not all. Uh, I, I will throw this one. And I talked to Kibby Ranta a couple of weeks ago. And when I was talking to him, I know the Finnish Mafia was in the room and they were making fun of him the whole time that he was doing a big interview and everything. So they were going to try and make him laugh and do as bad an interview as he could. So that's part of being, I think, in the bubble is that oh, a little hijinks. bit different. Oh, the hijinks that are going on. Oh, and Totsi's right there with him. Totsi, you have anything to report? I love it. No, day 57. It's a beautiful sunny day in Edmonton, about 70 degrees. Uh, I enjoyed it with a three-mile walk through the concourse of Rogers Place, which was (laughs) cold and dark. 
Uh, so yeah, the end what, is in sight, what boys. Shade of, what shade of white are you now? Oh, oh just the palest, the absolute yeah. most translucent. But the I've end seen, is in sight. I've seen darker ping pong balls than you, I think, <laughs> at this point. So. For All sure. right. All right, one more rinky-dinking podcast left, I would say, right? That's that's going to be it. I don't see a mid-round uh, podcast and then a an after-round <laughs> podcast. Uh, so it begs the question, will we be performing an autopsy on the corpse of a skylarking stars club that fell just short of hockey's holy grail? Or is this going to be a full-on canonization of a squad that came together in a homogeneous bubble and won a cup in the time of COVID? I'll tell you this. The fortnight will reveal the answer. We'll know everything within what? Not even 10 days, right? Yeah. Then the draft. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Easy, Heike. I'm trying to do a dramatic end okay. to our penultimate podcast of the season. We will smother the answer to that question I just posed before Mike interrupted. And we will answer it with a vuncular opinion and our usual complicated airflow. So go totes, go hikes, and go stars. Dallas, stars!